Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. We continue our series, The Hard Sayings of Jesus, in our seventh study here in the Beatitudes. Has anybody found the Beatitudes not easy? (laughs) Have they challenged your flesh a little bit? Are they the exact opposite of your natural response? Have most of them challenged some part of your life and living? None more so than the one that we arrive at today. Happy are the holy. Because holiness is not the natural condition of man. Unholiness without God is our natural state. That's how we were born. David actually put it this way. In iniquity I was conceived from my mother's womb. In other words, our natural state is actually not the holiness of God, but rather our own flesh, which for the most part is not all that great. Amen? It is interesting to me that as we speak, especially in English, we have this phrase, through the lens of. In other words, we often see things through the lens of, one that's really affecting our country right now is the lens of politics. In other words, when you're looking through politics, things look a certain way. We are supposed to look at the world through the lens of our Christianity. Amen? We're supposed to see things through who we are in Christ. And so as we reach this beatitude, the sixth of them, Jesus effectively says, happy are the holy, or blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, those who have a clear lens through which to gaze on God. Blessed are they, for they shall actually see God. And I want to speak to you for our introduction from a place that I think will, for most of you, put this into perspective. The ancients believed that when they gazed up into the heavens, exactly as David said there in Psalm 8, that they were looking towards God's home. That somewhere up there in the outer atmosphere, they believed actually just beyond what they could see, the firmament of the heavens, was the dwelling place of God. And that was the worldview of virtually every ancient society. And so mankind, in that sense, has been attempting to see God for a very long time, actually physically see him. And so enter into the 1600s. Hans Lippersley, uh, eyeglass grinder, invents the world's first telescope, tries to get it, uh, in essence, patented. And he brings along a long chain of people that would include Galileo Galilei, Johannes Kepler, 
these great astronomers who invent ultimately the reflecting telescope, but at that time the refracting telescope. They would take two lenses, um, sometimes both convex, sometimes both concave, depending on which way you point them, and they invented telescopes. Why? Because they were gazing into the heavens, often in hopes that, because a vast majority of these scientists early on were actually believers. They were hoping potentially to get an actual glimpse of maybe God's home because they understood from a Christian worldview that the heavens were the handiwork of God. They wanted to see him. And from there you have men like Hale and ultimately Edwin Hubble. We built telescopes more and more powerful. Ultimately, Mount Wilson became the center of the astronomical world. And it moved from there to Mount Palomar to the 200-inch Hale Telescope. And now we move to the Keck Observatories on Mauna Kea, the big island of Hawaii. Finally ending up with the first deep space telescope, the Hubble. Now there's a new one that just got launched a few weeks ago that's now able to gaze even further into the heavens. How do you see anything up close and personal? You want to magnify that in your own view. And so when you look through the Hubble telescope and you gaze out, this particular photo, 80% of what you see there are not stars, they're galaxies, each with hundreds of billions of stars in them. So we're now able to gaze into deep space. And the more and more powerful the telescopes become, the more we can see. The spiral galaxy that's out in what we call the Big Dipper, it's 46 million light years away. It's a long ways. Most of the big things you see in that photo, again, are galaxies. They're not stars. And yet David declared that the heavens are the finger painting of God. They're the work of his fingers. That God himself expressed himself in the creation of things like gas nebulas. This bug nebula happens to be some 26 trillion miles wide. We have a big God. And he actually wants us to see him. He wants us to know him. He wants us to understand who he is. And so he paints in the heavens things like the Sombrero Galaxy. It's 350,000 trillion miles across. Mind-boggling. That same God that spoke with the word of his mouth in Genesis chapter 1 and said, in the beginning, let light be, and then creates the stars, the galaxies, the nebulas, the black holes, and everything else that's out there in this massive amount of space, that same God wants you to know him. Our own Milky Way, this little place that we live. You may have read in the last couple of days that we're now getting voices from the outer limits. 
that was a 50s television show. <laughs> Do not adjust your television set. You're about to enter the outer limits. No, the outer limits is not beyond God. He dwells outside of space and time. And so Jesus, hoping to focus our attention on his person, his character, and ultimately his love for us, says very simply, blessed are the pure in heart, not blessed are the ones who have the most magnificent telescopes that can see the outer reaches of the galaxies, but blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your desire is for us to know your glory, for us to see you, for us to understand how much you love us. And so we pray, God, this morning that you would cause us to lay aside every weight, every measure, everything that would beset us, cause us to not see you. Take your purity, Lord, and impress it upon our hearts so that we might see you today in Jesus' name. Amen. What was Jesus getting at? Well, David understood it this way, when I consider your heavens the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have ordained, and that word ordained also could be translated created. What is man? What is man? In light of those photos I just showed you from the Hubble Space Telescope, what is man in light of the massiveness of the creation? What is man? You know what the answer is? Everything. To God, you're everything. You are the focus. We have been looking for E.T. for over 60 years. And E.T. has not phoned home yet. We've been looking for habitable planets. Haven't found one. Oh, we think, maybe, possibly, we are so much the focus of God's existence that he put one planet, one solar system, in one galaxy, in the entirety of his creation, and said, you are my focus. And he sent Jesus into this world to die for our sins that we might know that he loves us that much. Amen? So he wants us to have a relationship with him. He's not a distant God that just simply created the massiveness of space. He is a personal God that loves you so much that whether you are his focus or he is your focus, the object is to focus on each other. He wants you to see him. He wants you to know him. And so Jesus gives us some insight here. Now what do telescopes do? They bring distant objects closer. Amen? So Jesus says... The way to bring a distant God closer 
is to clean up the lens through which you look, your heart. To take and wipe the dust off of it, the junk of the world, the mud that gets on there every day from the way the world works, amen? I don't know about you guys, but I get some dirt on me almost every day. All you got to do, go to the store, go drive, some, drive eight feet in Los Angeles, some dirt got kicked on you. You go to work, the people that you work with, here comes some more dirt for the lens that blocks out a little of the vision that you ought to have of God. Why? Because it stirs up in you some impurity. Some of the mud, some of the junk. Interesting example of Moses. There in Exodus 33, you can read the passage later. But Moses has gone to visit God to see his glory. He's not going to be able to see God's glory because God says about this, Yahweh himself speaking, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. Why? Because God's holiness is so great that in our impurity, his holiness would actually destroy us. And so Moses gets a little glimpse. In essence, you could kind of look at it like God hides himself in the cleft of a rock. And so Moses gets to see kind of the backside or the shadow of the Lord. But what's important is where is Moses in relationship to God at that point in time? He's close. What happens? Moses is imbued with a glory of God. He actually begins to shine with some of the Shekinah of the Lord. And it sticks with him for a while. He has been close to God. There's been nothing between Moses and God. So Moses glows with the glory of God. Secret to your walk with the Lord. The closer you get to God, the more the glory of God shines through you. Amen? It's inescapable. That's what happens when you get close to God. And so Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart because there's not a thing left between them and God, and they actually get to see God. And the crazy thing is, other people get to see God in you. Other people will see the same God that you have been close to. But when you've been close to the world, what happens? People see the world in you. When you spend a lot of time in the impurity of the world, then the world can see that you have been close to the world and not close to God. You see, the exact opposite occurs. Moses' brother Aaron saw that glory. And in fact, verses 33 and 35 of that chapter say the skin of Moses' face actually shone. And so Moses put a veil over his face because he didn't want the children of Israel seeing that the glory was fading. You see, when he got further from God, 
when he was further away from his experience of being close, the glory faded. The same is true for you. When you're not in your Bibles, when you don't spend time in prayer, when you walk in the flesh and you fulfill the lust of the flesh, the glory of the Lord fades in you and it fades in me. And so God is saying to us, I want you to be close to me. And it wouldn't be until Jesus himself came there in John chapter 1 that ultimately mankind would get a real glimpse of the glory of God in Jesus Christ, God's Son. John 1 begins there in verse 14, And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. For no one had seen God at any time, only the begotten of God, who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained him. In other words, when you saw Jesus, when you spent time with Jesus, when you were close to Jesus, you were as close to God as anyone had ever been or has been since. So the goal of our Christianity, this beatitude, is actually focusing our attention, focusing our view, clearing our vision, so that we can actually see who God is, so that we can be like him. It's that holiness that enhances. It's that purity that enhances our vision. Without that holiness, without that purity, other people don't see the real Jesus. They see the dirt that got on you throughout the week. They see the argument you had with your spouse. They see the way that you spoke harshly to your children. They see the way you reacted to not getting the sale price on that item at Costco. You know what? People lose their salvation in Costco. They go, I can't believe it. I came in here to get that barbecue. Well, what happens? That dirt gets on you. A little bit of temper pops up. A little bit of vanity pops up. A little bit of those fruits of the flesh pop up. And all of a sudden, that person who comes to speak to you doesn't have any idea that you have ever spent time with Jesus. They only know you're just as upset as everybody who has ever come in for that sale item and didn't find it. What kind of, what kind of place is this? Well, it's a store that sells stuff. You could call it Stuff Mart if you want. But you can't see God because you're in the flesh and people can't see God in you Because you're in the flesh. You're not pure of heart. Something else is transpiring in your life in those moments. Jesus made a constant remark that throughout the Gospels we find, and he referred to it, like in Matthew 23, out of the heart proceeds. Then he says, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, 
blasphemy. The issue is when you don't focus on God, you don't get a clear view of what you're supposed to be, that reflection that goes out to the world is no longer God. That's actually one of the sources of the problems we have in this world. Because then you begin to reflect you, and that's not a good thing, okay? Now, I'm sure most of you have some wonderful characteristics and qualities. Innate, inborn, you were made by God that way. But you also have a tremendous capacity because Jesus actually said it, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Any of you ever spoken some things that you've lived long enough to regret? It's an example of why we have to have a pure vision of God. You see, when I'm looking at God, I'm not going to sit there and rattle off those words that we can't repeat in church, amen? That's a direct outcome of me being close to Jesus. I'm not going to do that in his presence. I'm not going to respond that way to that insult that somebody gave me when I'm if Jesus is here and I'm close to him if I have a pure view my heart is pure it's like Lord you're with me right now what would you say to this person it isn't going to be what your flesh dreams up is it it's going to be what the spirit does in you and the reason this beatitude is so important is actually the cure to what ails us in this world The center of your being needs a transformation. You you need a new heart. We are all all born with a spiritual heart problem. Amen? Jeremiah actually said the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, and who can know it? So I need a new one. I need a transplant. Only seeing God can I get that. Only being near God, only having a relationship with God can I have that. You see, your heart is the source of this. In that sense, the the seed of man's collective energies, actually the focus of our personal life, the seed of our rational, emotional, volitional things, the, the elements that we would call human life, that all comes from inside of us. Every bit of it. You see, your heart kind of is a collective way to describe your mind, your emotions, your intellect, which then will guide your physical body. And so if the totality of who you are, represented by what Jesus calls the heart, doesn't have a pure view of God, then all of that dirt starts to be what you become and what you say and how you act. And so Jesus says if you want to have a great view of God so that you can reflect a pure view of God. If you don't want impurities to mess up the view, then you have to get as close as you can. When the second Hale telescope was being built, the first one's on Mount Wilson, by the way. Some people don't know that Griffith Park was actually a real observatory, as in an astronomical observatory originally. But on Mount Wilson, they're at about 5,700 feet. The first Hale telescope, 100 inches in diameter, was built. In order to get a clearer view, you know where they took it? To the top of Palomar Mountain in San Diego County. And they built a 200-inch telescope. Why? 
because there was cleaner air, because by then smog had started to infill the valley through the inversion layer that covers the Los Angeles basin. And so there was no longer a clear view. And they built a much larger lens. That lens on top of Mount Palomar would stay there for almost 40 years as the largest telescope in the world. And since then, we've built these massive things on top of Mauna Kea. The reason that those observatories are put on the top of mountains is there's nothing between them and the sky. And the same reason you need to reach to spiritual heights is so that there's nothing between you and God. Nothing. We talk about, in Christian vernacular, mountaintop experiences. Why do we do that? Because a lot of times when you get away from the rat race, from the rigmarole, from the daily grind, away from all the stuff that has a tendency to suck you in, when you get away on a mountaintop, there's nothing left but you and Jesus. Amen? That's the principle here. But God doesn't want you to have to run away to a retreat every weekend. He actually wants you to have a clear view of him in the midst of your trial. In the middle of that storm. In the time that you're spending with him that isn't ideal, but you can still see him. That was the problem of the disciples in the boat, wasn't it? The storm was raging. Jesus actually pushed the disciples into the storm. The waves were not new to Jesus. It was new to the disciples. But was not Jesus sufficient for the storm? And it wasn't until Peter's eyes stayed fixed on Jesus that he was no longer sinking. When he took his eyes off of a pure vision of Jesus, he began to sink. And the same is true for you. When you get your eyes off of Jesus, when your vision is obstructed, when it's no longer pure, when your heart is interrupted by the things of this world, you will not have a pure view of God. You'll start to see the world. You'll see the wind. You'll see the waves. You'll see the problem. You'll see the conditions, and you won't see the solution. God wants us to see the solution to our problems, not the problems themselves. And it's him. It's always been him. It's that intimate fellowship. And in that sense, church, we have to have no hidden agendas. Our, our motivation has to be pure. I want you to see this single-minded focus of Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 6, just one chapter ahead of where we are now. Do not store up for yourselves, there in verse 19 to 24, treasures on earth, where rust can destroy, where the termites of Lomita can eat, where every house has to be tented if you've lived in it for nine minutes, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal, where your treasure is, for 
there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. Now here's an interesting thing about this particular type of lamp. This was an oil lamp. But as lamps began to be more developed, they were almost always found with a lens on the back of the lamp. If you have an old oil lamp, you'll see a reflective lens on the opposite side of where the wick comes up out of the oil. And so you can adjust the wick a little bit to make the flame bright, and then the lens can reflect what's in there And it appears that the entirety of the light that's being produced is now going to be shown out into the world. And the same is true for your eye. What you take in will reflect what is burning inside of you. If Jesus is burning inside of you, then you will reflect Jesus out into the world. This is the principle that Jesus is speaking here. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. If if you want more Jesus to shine out of you, then the lens of your heart has to be clean. There has to be holiness involved in our living and in our thinking. For if then the light that is is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? In other words, when you get dirty and do nothing about it, People can't see Jesus. They're going to see something else. It's not going to be him. And here's what Jesus says to this end. This is very important for us as a principle of our daily Christian living. No one can serve two masters. You can't be dirty and clean at the same time. You're either clean or dirty. Period. Now you might be less dirty, more dirty, more clean, less clean. But you cannot be both simultaneously. It's impossible. And so Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. You'll hate the one, love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one, despise the other. You can't serve, in this case, God and wealth. Wealth becomes the thing that can get your lens dirty. But Jesus is really saying, in everything, keep the lens clean. When something gets on there, wash it with the water and the word. Wipe it off. Get rid of the obstruction. Now, I don't know how many of you, for those of you that are a little old here in the room, you don't have to raise your hand. You know what I'm about to say is true. You know the little little part of the mirrors, your side mirrors that say objects are closer than they appear? When there's a little bit of dirt down there, you know what happens? It's like, there's no objects actually to see anymore. Now, it's not actually true, but because the objects are closer than they appear, what happens, that little bit of dirt down there, that little smudge for when you kind of push the the mirror out after the car wash, that thing that's there, just a little bit of obstruction can cause you to miss something very important like a semi. Amen? Amen. These are principles for us in our daily living. It doesn't take much of the world at a close distance to obstruct the bigger things that God is doing elsewhere. Because the things that are closest to you are going to be the most obstructive. Hence my hand. You all didn't just disappear, but I cannot see you. Amen? Why? 
because I have an obstruction very close to me. So when my heart is obstructed at close range, when I've laid hold of slander or gossip or bitterness or anger or hate, I'm doing this to the light coming out of me. I can't see what needs to be seen, and people can't see what they need to see in me because it's close. And so Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, and others will see God in you. We have only one true love, amen? One of the crazy things about the book of Revelation is that when it gets boiled down, you've left your first love. Not, hey, you forgot how evil the world was or, you know, what politics we're going to do or what inflation's going to do or what the market's going to do. It wasn't any of those things. You've left your first love. That first love relationship is a pure relationship with the Lord. It's us and him. Have any of you figured out at the end of every day it's just you and Jesus? Now we'll also include your spouse. It'll include your children. It's, it's going to be you and him together. But in a very, very real sense, it's just you and Jesus against the world. And when he's close, you're good. But if he's not close, you're not going to have what you need. You're going to have maybe another master, and maybe that master is something even good. Some keys to spiritual prosperity. The truly blessed, the people who are closest to Jesus, are truly blessed. You actually get to be like Moses was. Now, I don't know about any of you, but I know for me, I'm like, sign me up for that adventure to go see God. It's like, he's up there, I'm going. You know, some people don't want to get close to God because they like the dirt that they have. I may have just stung someone in this room. Maybe quite a few of you. You like the dirt you have. You like the crud on your windshield. Isn't it weird how when a big bug hits your windshield, it is always right in your field of vision? Now, your windshield is this huge thing, but there's, there's a grasshopper that smacked right, you know, just like right in front of you. And so what do you do? Oh, yeah, that's a car. One of the keys to spiritual prosperity is making sure you got some wiper fluid inside of your tank and that you have good wiper blades on there so when the grasshopper hits before it dries... Same thing is true with sin. When the grasshopper hits, Lord, I'm sorry. First John chapter 1. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin. And what comes next, church? Cleanse us. Wipe off the window from all the bug guts of the world. 
all the junk that's splattered on the view that you have of God and God has of you. So important for us. Because sometimes, you know, when you're driving to the eastern Sierras to go trout fishing, it's like you're on a mission. It's like, no, honey, you can, you can hold it. You don't have to go right now. It's only five hours. And so you drive past every gas station. And you drive past every window washing station. And after you, once you get up there, you realize, I actually couldn't see for the last hundred miles. The same is true for you in this world with your walk with Jesus. You can get so used to looking around the splattered stuff that's on the windshield of your life that after a while you don't even know you can't see. You've learned to live with it. You've learned to live with the mess. And so Jesus says the key to spiritual prosperity is to make sure that you clean up the mess. Amen? In other words, repent and pray and say, Lord, I want to see you. I want to know you. I want to be near you. I want to have a pure heart. I I want to be like Moses. I want to have gotten so close that I shine with your glory. The chief goal of all mankind really is to glorify God, is it not? That's actually why you're here, ultimately. First to become a believer and then to glorify God by seeing other people come to faith as well. Martin Lloyd-Jones actually said it very well. He said, because the only way to have a pure heart, pure heart, the first step is to realize that you have an impure one. Unless you realize the windshield's dirty, you won't clean it. You won't come to faith. So the first step in that purity is having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Have a longing in your heart to have an unobstructed view of heaven. Nothing between you and God. Now that's not an easy task in this world, is it? It's not for me. Maybe it is easier for some of you, but it's not easy for your pastor. Not easy for Pastor Chad either. Because this world slings a lot of bugs our way. There's a lot of mud kicked up. My brother-in-law used to race motocross. And and I didn't realize this. But he said the person who gets out first often wins for one reason and one reason only. They can actually see. Because what happens, once everybody gets off the line, all the dirt, the rocks, the mud, and everything else is coming your way, and you're constantly trying to clean your goggles. So there's a little secret for you. Get out first and stay ahead. Get out first and stay ahead. Get out towards God and stay ahead. Stay with him. Stay in the word. Stay in prayer. Stay in fellowship. Stay serving, stay giving, stay ahead. Stay ahead. That's why Paul said, forgetting what is behind. 
You want the devil left in the dust, amen? You, you want to hit the throttle. It's like, I'm out. It's like, y'all can stay back there with the dirt. I'm pressing on towards the high calling that I have in Christ Jesus. Amen? That's where the pure in heart are. They're at the front. The pure at heart have a great view in their rearview mirror. They can see where they've been. They know where they've come from. You know what else is true? They can also see what lies ahead. They know this world is not our home. They know we're just passing through. They know where their treasure is. It's somewhere beyond the blue. Amen? Purity of heart, purity of vision, causes you to truly see God and others can see him in you when you have a pure heart. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. For some of you, that's a challenge. For some of you, that's a challenge. Because you actually have not begun to clean the bugs off the windshield of your life. You haven't met Jesus yet. You need to know him in order to follow him. And I want to challenge you today, for you, can be the greatest day of your life. For others of you, you've been walking with the Lord for a long time. But you've let some bugs dry on the windshield. And you need to get that super heavy-duty stuff that they don't even put out at gas stations anymore because it's got gasoline in it. It's too expensive. <laughs> but you need a good scrubbing of your windshield. And for some of us, maybe we just got a bug here or there. That needs to go. But for all of us, the answer is the same. And his name is Jesus. So would you bow your hearts, your heads with me, and let's pray. I want to pray over us, pray for us, and pray for you that need to make a decision to follow Christ today. Father, I thank you for the number of times that you have Help me scrub some serious bugs off the windshield of my life. And Lord, I pray for anyone here today that does not yet know you. Lord, as we have been preaching evangelistically for months now, I, I would pray that if there's anyone left in this room that does not know you, that they would recognize that they are a sinner and they need a Savior, and they would simply cry out to you, Jesus, right now and invite you in to be their Savior and Lord. For those of us with really dirty windshields, Lord, we need to go to the car wash and blast off the grime. Lord, help us to flee sin. Lord, help us to get rid of that junk that's collected. Father, for those that just have run through a storm and there's a few things stuck, God, help us to always faithfully remind ourselves that we need to clean up that one little spot. And so, Lord, for all these things, you're the only answer. We pray that you would speak to us right now by your Spirit, each one in our own way. Lord, clean us up. Give us a view of heaven. We ask this in the wonderful, the most blessed name ever. 
the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.